Hello and welcome to the Scripts and Scribes podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Fukunaga. For more great interviews and resources on the craft and business of writing, be sure to check out our companion website, scriptsandscribes.com. Our guest today is a longtime friend who has worked at CAA, has been a development executive for both Hugh Jackman and Owen Wilson, and for over five years was a studio executive at Universal Pictures. She's currently a producer and script consultant with projects in various stages of development all over town. Welcome to the show, Regina Lee. Thanks so much for having me, Kevin. Um, I've known you for a long time, but for those uh, listeners who don't know your background, I'd love to find out more about uh, where you got the interest to work in the entertainment industry, what sort of inspired you, how did your journey begin, where did you get your first break? Yeah, I, simple story. Um, I, like you know many people, I think you probably didn't have uh, access to like film and TV opportunities, certainly growing up or, or in high school, but you have opportunity uh, to participate in school theater or local community theater, uh, and that's certainly how I became interested. I started out stage managing or designing theater in high school. Um, I promised myself I'd get over it. Uh, in college at Duke, but I did not get over it in college at Duke, so I spent entirely um, too much time, well maybe I I spent a large uh, amount of time doing um, musical theater and also straight plays at Duke, uh, and the the bug had bitten me, I guess. Um, I didn't really want to move to New York to kind of pursue a Broadway, you know, management or, um, yeah, Broadway management or production career, so um, I thought, wow, you know, maybe I should try to give film and TV a shot. Uh, one of my friends from Duke had done the same thing, although she wasn't as involved in theater, uh, but she had family in California. It was very easy for her to move to California and, you know, pursue um, an entertainment career uh, with her encouragement and kind of her tips. Uh, I did the same thing. I also had family in California. It was easy for me to, to move out here after school, uh, and that's what I did. Uh, the In terms of a big in terms of the first break-in, uh, my friend had advised me to try to get a, a job at CAA or William Morris or ICM at the time, or maybe Endeavor, uh, prior, obviously way prior to right. the merger. Um, and I took her advice. Uh, at, and back in the day, there was a, a temp agency on Sunset called Friedman Personnel Agency, which I think still exists, but I think they do uh, far less talent agency placement than they used to in, in our day. Uh, and I applied at Friedman's. I think two months later, they called me in, and within once they finally called me, within a week I had a job at CAA, mm-hmm. and uh, and then I sat two cubicles down from you right. at CAA. Yeah, absolutely. Um, f- uh, this is a podcast, obviously mostly listened to by writers, uh, aspiring writers. Um, what can you tell us about your experience at CAA, and if that's something that could be useful to? Uh, you know, a writer who wants to come out, needs a job, wants to work in the industry, is that something that... It's, it's number one um, to me, but you, to be honest, like you have to probably be at a certain time in your life to, to, to start right. an agency. Most agency assistants are probably, you know, 22 to, to 26 or so. Would you say that that's the case? Yeah, with a few random exceptions, but usually right. it's, yeah, you're in your 20s. There, there are some assistants who go there to be lifers who are career assistants right. but most people and those those people you know they have a they make a decent living they you know are f- very much appreciated i think they're by their bosses who the bosses who prefer life lifer kind of right. career assistants um but most people are yeah i would say 22 to 26 ish um and, and so if you are at a certain point in your life and in you have the ability to move to LA mm-hmm. and and participate in in that kind of great entry level job. 
I would hands down tell you that that is what you should do. And, and for most of the, the, the Duke Young alumni who I advise, I say, you know, do that, like CAA, uh, WME, UTA, if you, if you, you know, ICM, those are kind of the big, bigger ones. Uh, Gersh Paradigm, also great agencies to work at, but, you know, not quite as large uh, as, as the larger four. Um, I would start in Verve, too, now. Sure. Um, but, yeah, if you have the ability to do that, I, I just tell people, do that, and then call me in nine months, and I'll, give, I'll try to advise you on step two, right. <laughs> because that is definitely the best um, step one. And, you know, the very short version is, like, Facebook wasn't around when when you and I kind of came up through the ranks and, and social media and stuff, but but uh, without that kind of network, like a social media network, the best network building that you can do would be to go work at a large company, like an agency where you have hundreds of peers who are also uh, around your around your age, who are around your ambition level, who are going to who you're going to spend a you know a year 18 months working in the trenches with and then who will all disperse into s their second jobs all around town and then in the third jobs and their fourth jobs and all become you know either executives or content creators and you'll have a, a like a class just like you have a graduating class at college that you can count on and hopefully who you'll do business with for the next decades uh, of your career uh, and you just learn so much from the agency environment as well right um, and before we jump into your producing work and, and development and all that kind of stuff. I wanted to, because we had a lot of managers and agents on the podcast, although we haven't really talked to assistants and not that, you know, that was years ago, <laughs> yes. but at least it's something that both of us have had the experience doing. Um, so I wanted to ask you again, the agent's assistants, uh, well, it's the same as, as executive assistants and it's assistants of producers. They're sort of that gatekeeper. Mm -hmm. um, maybe, you could explain a little bit about the need for the gatekeeper. What's the process when you get a script, when you get a query, that kind of thing, what, what happens? Because a lot of writers will submit queries or send scripts to executives, which you've been, uh, agency, you know, mm -hmm. to hopefully get read and get represented or get sold, whatever. But being the gate, having been a former gatekeeper uh, many moons ago, but having been a former gatekeeper, um, what is the process? What happens when you get that query? What happens when you get that script on in, in the mail, you know? And you're talking about uh, the gatekeeper meaning um, you're talking about like for a writer who's trying to get represented by an agency or you're trying to you're talking about a writer who's trying to like get through the door and attach talent or something like that. Any or both when you okay. yeah, when you get a, a, a script from an uh, an unrepresented writer whether it's emailed or mailed or whatever it happens to be. I guess it's probably not a mail script these mm -hmm. days, but every once in a while. Uh, when you get a script, uh, what is the normal chain? Yeah, you know, unfortunately due to many kind of um, you stole my idea kind of frivolous mm -hmm. lawsuits, there's really, it, it's very hard to find an open door that way. Um, there are there's no hard and fast rules for anything that we talk about and certainly I don't sure. want to say that it's impossible to get an unsolicited script through the door but the default answer is we do not accept unsolicited mm -hmm. material and you know that is because of these unsolicited or rather you know frivolous lawsuits that might derive from from 
I wrote a time travel script. What do you mean you already have it? You know, right. you stole my time travel script idea. Um, so, you know, there are obviously lots of uh, blogs, message boards, uh, whatever, who, that talk about that, you know, the unsol unsolicited submission. So I won't go into all that detail. But, but the normal, um, at a big agency, certainly, the, the normal response would be we do not get, uh, we do not accept unsolicited submissions and your materials being returned to you unread, keyword right. being unread. Therefore, we did not read it. We do not know what your idea is. We cannot be ever accused of misappropriating right. your idea. Um, and, and you know, I, even as I say that, I, I'm sad to have to kind of say that. Right. But, but there are, um, I'll switch and say, you know, there are so many avenues that allow, right, allow your script to come through the door, whether those be, uh, you know, writing contests, some of which are extremely um, prestigious and reputable, or, you know, some people who do accept unsolicited material. Right. And obviously, your query letter needs to be something really eye-catching for them to pick your query letter instead of the 500 other ones they're getting that month. Um, you know, there's script consulting services. There are uh, pitch fest, including uh, both in-person pitch fest as well as virtual pitch fest, for example. Um, there are other ways to, to, to get your material through the door um, and then take, and then the second step can be, well, hopefully, okay, let's say, you know, you pitch a producer at a pitch fest or, or on virtual pitch fest, they show some interest. If they actually like it, they will help you. Honestly, they will help you if they if they actually like it right. and if they actually think that there's something that either they can do with it or that, you know, maybe it's not for them for whatever reason, but that someone else in Hollywood can do something with this piece of material. So, like, let's say you pitch me a indie drama and I say, well, I'm not really in the indie drama space right now. I'm more in the, uh, you know, in the big action movie space or something. And but but I know people who who are in the indie drama space and you should try to meet with them like if I really believe in it, I will refer you to someone or I will refer you to an agent in the man or a manager who will then refer you, right, you know, right. to, to, to help you create that network. Um, so instead of answering the, you know, what really happens when it gets through the door, the, what, what, what happens is you kind of get an automated, we can't accept this response. I'll say instead what you should do is to look for the avenues where they are taking your, your material. And, and, you know, those can be things we just mentioned. It can be your college alumni network of, sure. you know, people mm -hmm. it truly, uh, it can, you know, it can be other, other things. If you happen to live in LA and like you, your kid goes to the same school as, as that person's kid or whatever there, there are, there are ways there are friendly, socially normative <laughs> ways right. that, that you can um, get through the door in terms of the other things. So that's kind of the representation angle. The other thing, like let's say you're an unrepresented writer, you're trying to put an indie movie together and, uh, and you submit or you try to submit your script to, uh, let's say, you know, Reese Witherspoon's agent at CAA, like does Reese, is Reese interested in this? Um, with Reese, she does have a production company. So mm -hmm. it's possible it is with, for an actor who doesn't have a production company, it's, it's almost kind of in some ways less likely that they would be interested at that point, but they have a production company. So is there a chance that, that they're looking for, you know, a drama about, uh, you know, a, a nurse or something, right. um, and they could potentially produce it and also have her star or not star? Like, the the possibility is maybe increased a little bit if she has a production company, but, but still the policy is... For the, from the agent standpoint, I don't want to put Reese in a position where she could be exposing herself to a you stole my idea lawsuit. Sure. So the, there too, the response may be we, we don't accept unsolicited submissions. If you're, if you're 
if your pa- if your movie is partially financed, you could submit it as an offer to mm-hmm. Reese, and obviously, you know, they'll they'll probably they'll probably look at it if there's an offer attached to it. Um, but you know, that's that's kind of we can get into the detail detail of that if we if we should. But most likely, you are going to get the we can't accept unsolicited submissions, mm-hmm. and but that's okay. That just means you need to find another way right. to get in the door. Right. Like if you tell if I go to Best Buy and that computer is not on sale. I'm going to go to Amazon and find and see if it's on sale there. I'm going to go to Sears and see right. if it's on. I'll go, you know, to to you know what is like I'll, Newegg or whatever the, those sites are. Like there are other ways to get through any door sure. in life, and there are in in the entertainment business as well. Yeah, and I think um, writers need to sort of realize when attaching talent to things, uh, especially any actor worth attaching, mm-hmm. pretty much because they're worth attaching, because they can bring money, mo- almost all of them have a stack of scripts with offers already that are sitting there on their desk mm-hmm. ready to be read that if they say yes, they get a paycheck, yes. period. So that your script that has no money attached or no one else attached to it is on the bottom of the barrel. It may be amazing, right. but it is low, low priority because there's a lot more steps that have to go for them to get a paycheck. If it happens to be amazing, which again, you're still one of however many that come through, not even talking about the potential lawsuits and mm-hmm. landmines involved in reading unsolicited material that hasn't been vetted by somebody right. or isn't coming from an author, you know, a uh, legitimate source like an, another manager or a you know, somebody like that, so. Right, yeah, it's, it's interesting, I mean, even as, you know, when we have these types of conversations, and, and if I sit on a panel, if I go mm-hmm. guest speak at UCLA or something like that, you, you wanna bring, like, you, want, you wanna bring your pragmatism and your experience and, and the odds that you know about, right? Sure. It, the, the odds are high for, higher for this kind of strategy and maybe lower for this right. kind of strategy. At the same time, we, you always wanna be encouraging because sure. none of us can predict what precisely is going to happen if you submit your script. Like, most likely you're gonna get, we can't take unsolicited right. submissions, but maybe your letter is, for whatever reason, is stands apart enough that someone's gonna make an exception sure. for you. Let's say, you know, you have the Navy Cross or something, like, right. you know, or you, you're, you know, you've done Doctors Without Borders, or you went to the same college, or, you know, or maybe you, you know, you, you set the world's, uh, jump rope record or something like there there could be a reason you know <laughs> that you distinguish yourself and you are the exception that day and everyone else isn't the exception that day so i never want anyone to think it's impossible or that right. i'm saying it's impossible because you never you never know if you knew if you always knew no movie would ever lose money no tv show would ever get canceled because you would be able to predict other people's behavior and that's not the case right but what you and i have to ask ourselves and what most people have to ask ourselves is how many Hail Marys am I really going to throw? Or, you know, half-court shots am I right. really going to throw? How many of those are going to go in? And is that the best first impression I can make for myself? Is that I'm making the, you know, I'm the Hail Mary person? Or is the best first impression I can make for myself, like, I'm kind of going through the proper channels. I'm trying to tick all the boxes that I can. I'm trying to come to them with the strongest package sure. that I can after doing all the work myself as opposed to throwing that Hail Mary. And s- I throw Hail Marys too. I'm sure you do as well. Yeah. Like sometimes I, I'm like, you know, I want to partner with this producer. They can, they have their pick of projects, but I really believe in mine and I'm going to give it a shot. Mm-hmm. But it's easier for me to do that because I do have, you know, somewhat of established reputation in sure. Hollywood. So I'm, my first impression is not, oh, I'm the, I'm the person who 
has no is a complete optimist, not a pragmatist at all, and always throwing hail Mary, right. marys. Right? That's not how I want to present myself. Um, but again, I've already made my first impression. So, so, but proportionally, I don't want every shot I take to be a hail mary. And so often, you know, when you talk to amateur writers, so they're so attached to their work because you know it's oftentimes very personal to them. Not always, but oftentimes very personal to them. Mm-hmm. They they want to throw that hail mary and they want to hear that it's possible sure. to to you know land that half court shot and. We're not saying it's not, but we're also not saying it's the highest percentage play. Right. No, absolutely. That's, not, that's great uh, uh, outlook and advice. Uh, never say, don't do that, generally speaking, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but realize that the sort of success percentage of what you think you're doing is very low. So there are, try other options. Keep your, mm-hmm. you know, have a lot of... of, of uh, balls in the air, so to speak, right. when you're juggling. Right. Um, we could go down the street to a restaurant and say, hey, it's Kevin's birthday, which it's not. Right. Can he have a free dessert? And there's a chance that they'll say yes. <laughs> sure. But the right. greater chance is that they're going to say no, but the cake is five bucks. Right. You know? So we're not saying you should never try it, but you also don't want to be the guy showing up to that restaurant every right. day and saying, can I have a free cake? Can I have a free cake? Can right. I have a free cake? Like, right? Like better for you to go and establish that you're a frequent diner at that restaurant. Sure. You tip well, you treat everyone with respect, you come in every day, you order the ham sandwich, and then, you know, six months down the road after every waitress likes you, hey, you know, it's my birthday. Can I have a free piece of pie? Absolutely, right. Kevin. Thanks for coming in. Yeah. Right? Like yeah. there's a difference in showing up at the door and demanding a free cake right and then becoming an established customer everyone respects you treat people well they treat you well right and then saying you know hey can you do me a favor right no that's absolutely true um so yeah shoot your hail marys once in a while but yeah but also there are other avenues that uh, you know are i think more reasonable and have a higher chance of success and you know i I talked to um a bunch of of We've heard it a lot. Mm-hmm. It's a marathon, not a sprint. Mm-hmm. It's a marathon, not a sprint. Um, actually, Blair Dickerson, you know, mm. also from CAA, who was in between mm-hmm. us. Actually, his desk was between. Mm-hmm. Was the first one that told me that. Oh. You know, it's a marathon, not a sprint, and it's it's absolutely true. It's uh, most of those most of those executives who yeah. you're asking a favor from, they also paid their dues. Absolutely. Most of them. Right. I, I can't think of one. Um, I'm sure there is one, but off the top of my head, I can't think of one who just lucked into becoming, you know, a top CAA agent or some, right, something like right, that. Right. Right. So they're also thinking, I paid my due. This right. is like actually very kind of medical school thinking. Like there's, there are lots of studies that say medical students should not continue to work the kinds of hours they work, but the established class of doctors, they all think, I had to do it, so you should have to do it. Like, right. I busted my my butt, you know, in med school and in internship and residency. I pulled all-nighters. I've worked three days in a row. You need to, too. If I can do it, you can do it, right? right? And so the established class of thinking, I busted my butt in the mailroom. I busted my butt doing, you know, coverage and, re- and you know, reporting, uh, servicing, you know, higher-level agents with their higher-level clients. Um, I went through you know, maybe four years in the trainee program or whatever, you know, and you're trying to take a shortcut. So unless you can show me that you're the one who deserves that 
shortcut, everybody's going to pay their dues. Right. You know, and off, so often if, you know, if I do meet someone new in Hollywood and I, and, um, I hear that from people like, oh yeah, you've totally paid your dues. And you know, uh, yeah, we have, we've paid our dues. Right. So, but again, there's an exception to every rule and there sure. should be, but typically there, there is a, a process and it, it's not, the Hollywood process is not as established as like, you know, becoming a doctor or something. You, you go to med school, you, you know, obviously you take your MCAT, you go to med school, you take, do your internship, internship, residency, you know, et cetera. Um, but there is a process like, you know, win a big con, get your script in shape. You might need to hire a consultant. You might go to, you know, a screenwriting class. You might do a, um, like a, a virtual class. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't live in one of the bigger cities with film schools, um, you know, start writing, get, this is not my statistic, but a lot of people say, you know, write 10 good scripts first. Mm-hmm, sure. um, some people say five, some people say 10. Um, use, you know, that number might be smaller if you're working as a writing professional or something else. Maybe you're a journalist already and now right. you're gonna write a script or something. You're a playwright, now you're gonna write a script. Um, win a prestigious contest. For the prestigious contest, people come knock on your door Absolutely. if you win, right? Yeah. Um, I had a former intern who uh, got an MFA at UCLA and he won a UCLA contest and he got knocks on the on the door mm-hmm. um, so if it's the right contest people will come knock on your door uh, even you know even if it's kind of a, a smaller mid mid-sized you know moderately well-respected contest you now have something to put in your query letter I'm a finalist right. in you know fresh voices or Nashville or Austin or whatever sure. your query letter is is at least gonna get some level of attention and you know you might not get signed off of that maybe right. you get a general meeting but there are there is somewhat of an established way to enter right not as established as how you enter the medical profession or right. something like that. right 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 although we hear a lot that and and i want to remind listeners we hear a lot from agents and managers specifically that your query letter should be very brief mm-hmm. it should be like yeah if you had won austin mm-hmm. film festival or screenwriting competition mm-hmm. put that in there that's yes. absolutely useful uh put your log line in there but don't put too many extraneous details unless it it's Applies to like for example, if you wrote a script about Navy SEALs and you were a former Navy SEAL, mm-hmm. put that in there. Yes, but absolutely. They don't need to know where you went to high school. They no. don't need to know that you've always loved movies. They don't need to know that you dreamed of this moment and mm-hmm. you're, you know you're going to win an Oscar. Mm-hmm. They don't need to know any of that. Mm-hmm. In fact, they're less likely to read it if they see you know six yeah. paragraphs and your pa- your query is two le- two pages long. They're more likely to read it if it's three sentences and a log line, right? And just has those pertinent details. Yes, absolutely. In fact, a lot of them say, "I only read the log line. If the log line interests me, then I'll read the rest." Mm-hmm. So keep that in mind. Yeah, for sure. And and you also like I don't mind. I, I don't actually read a lot of query letters at all because I, my the bosses I came up under um, were real sticklers for the unsolicited submissions mm-hmm. policy. We, you know, we don't want to expose ourselves. We don't want to expose our companies. Um, you know, to a to any trouble, frankly. Sure. Um, so I'm a real stickler for that. I don't think I've, I think there's, yeah, I don't think I've accepted anything based on a query letter personally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that's me, and that's not what everyone else. Like, I'm not sure. a manager too, right. so right. Like, I'm not a high percent percentage play. Like, someone else is a higher percentage play right. than, than I am, just because of the nature of of my business. Um, but um, but I if if someone asks for my advice, like I will obviously log line and I, and I 
tend to say like, yeah, you can put another, you know, one, two, maybe three sentences about the story in, but you don't want to synopsize it, fully right. synopsize it, because again, that becomes unsolicited material. Now it's like, now you've put me in the, in the area where mm. I'd have to say, this is material, right? And now I have to return it unread because that that synopsis is already you telling me what your idea is and you don't and I I haven't given you permission to tell me right. what your idea is yet. You know, I would only I would only want that like one page synopsis or three page synopsis or whatever um, after I give you permission and after you sign a release form if I were actually in the mode of accepting it. Mm -hmm. So so um, you know, I've uh, I have met a few amateur writers who I've um, Gosh, I haven't talked about. I haven't thought about this in years. But who, you know, I I gave them my email address. I said, yeah, yeah. Like one person was producing a documentary, so I was interested in that person, and uh, and I said, just send me. You know, I'm not sure exactly what I said, but if I said, just send me your logline only, and maybe your the website to your documentary, and we'll take it from there. And that person would not allow me uh, allow that relationship to continue because they sent like a five page synopsis a poster design mm -hmm. press kit or whatever and i wrote back mm -hmm. and said i'm deleting this unread as we discussed please only send xyz and again they wouldn't they they stepped on their own foot like mm -hmm. they and I'm using the word they, which is a collective noun, uh, right. pronoun, because I don't want to say he or she, not because I don't know what proper English is. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, they, uh, he uh, or she, uh, they sent in, you know, let's, let's say instead of sending that, those three documents in, this time they only sent in a movie poster. Plus, right. And I wrote back and I said, I'm sorry, you know, I don't think this is a proper relationship for us. Um, I'm deleting this unread. And only at that point... Um, you know, did they say you can't even read a one? Like, it's not going to take you long to read the one pager or the or the movie one sheet or whatever. And you know, it's like uh, that person was so green that that he or she did not even know um, that it was not because I was trying to be lazy or save time. Because now I, I've spent like five, we've gone back and forth like five right. emails. Like that's time, right? But it's I would have I had to now explain if I wanted more than what I requested I would have forwarded you a release form for you to sign mm -hmm. before submitting me the rest. It's not that I don't have time to look at a one a one sheet or uh, a, a poster design or something. It's that that is too material and I would want to be protected by a submission release form before you sent it to me. Right. And at that point he finally said, "Oh, okay, I understand." But it was so so. I guess that the lesson there is. Um, and some people aren't going to be as you know this kind of sticklers that I I was or my or I, I am or my bosses, but listen to what they're asking Absolutely. you for, and there's a reason uh, there's a reason that they're uh, asking you for what they're asking you for. It it may not be obvious to you yet, but there's there's a reason. And if you pass the first door, like hopefully you get um, a submission release form, or or maybe that company is. Um, is you know loose enough not to require one, and then you can continue the relationship from there. But taking liberties like, hey, you know, Regina, come, you know, Mikasa Sukasa, you know, do you do you do you want a, a bottled water or a Coke or something? And I say yes. That doesn't mean eat the pizza out of the fridge too, right? right? Like, mm -hmm. don't do that. So just it, it's so much people, and I psych myself out sometimes too. But but people sometimes you underthink it, sometimes you overthink it. Just treat people the way that you treat people who you invite into your house, right? Like, if I say, yeah, you know, have a bottled water, have the bottled water, but don't get go into my house and uh, go in my fridge and take stuff out of the fridge. And, and it, by the way, it works on the other side, too. Um, you know, 
if, if you invite me into your house, you don't need to say, hey, Regina, come to my place. We're going to record a podcast, but please don't steal anything while you're here. Right. So don't send me an NDA if you're going to try to send me a script. Right. Like, it's like you sending me an NDA if you, uh, and this is such a, I mean, this has maybe happened to me three times in like 15 years. And mm-hmm. someone, you know, amateur wants now you to sign, uh, wants you to now sign an NDA. And it's like, okay. So you, you trust me to read your material and you want me to produce it, but you don't trust me <laughs> to, so now you're sending an NDA. Um, how many times, Kevin, have you signed an NDA in Hollywood? I think I've never signed an NDA in, Hol- in tech. If I visit like a startup, like a, sure. we're designing a mobile app or something, I sign an NDA for that. But in Hollywood, I've never signed an NDA. When I worked in production, I may have. Okay, um, right. Based on, you know, I worked on one of the Batman films and you know, yes. they make every, Yes. crew member sign one so that's for legal reasons. But right. other than that yeah that's a great example and you know uh, we're totally getting in this sum- submission etiquette thing but that was a job um, right you're hired to work on a job uh, and another, they don't want the right. information to leak out in batman know. great example right sure. so if that script gets out that could potentially cost warner brothers move money right because people that script will go wide you know they're going to lose money mo- uh, money on the movie now um, from people who now no longer want to see it or sure. whatever because they've read the script or, or whatever that is. Um, same thing like uh, the example I always give when people do have to sign NDAs is like let's say you're you're bidding on the visual effects for the Avengers three. You know you're a VFX company <laughs> like you have to read the script to 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 start to to you know propose whatever you you would charge for vendor services. You're expected to sign an NDA because. It's a big property, much like Batman. Um, but but you know, in terms of like someone's trying to get a manager, trying to get an agent, they don't sign. Right. No. They don't absolutely sign NDAs. not. So absolutely. I'm not. glad we got that out. I, I see so much of that, like in um, new writers who are like, "Can I send them <laughs> an NDA?" And it's also like, no, because let's say let's say an agent really does read your work before they sign you. Most likely, they're going to talk about you in the staff meeting. For their with their department and sure. say, you know, I'm thinking about signing this person. This is the script he wrote, uh, and and the you know they'll they'll discuss it in a staff meeting. Other agents will be like, that's a great idea. You should totally sign that guy. Right. Or I don't know if you should because you know so and so. We I just signed three other guys like him out of the same program or right. out of the same contest or whatever, and they also have a sci-fi you know script that we're gonna sell and and oh yeah we're gonna. You know, we're already sending that sci-fi script off to J.J. Abrams. Um, so, right. you know, your strategy is maybe too similar to ours. Like, maybe maybe you shouldn't sign them because we just signed these three others or whatever. Right. I can't do that if I'm under an NDA. Right. So it's just not practical. Anyway. Yeah. Well, and it's also, I think, uh, one of those things. You're making it harder for your... Because idea theft does happen. Mm-hmm. But it, it doesn't happen as frequently as... as some writers think it does. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, it happens very infrequently because oftentimes, if you think about it, the if you especially if you're a newer writer, the sort of money it would cost to buy the rights to whatever right. it is that you have is very low mm-hmm. relative to sort of that legal liability that could come. You know, millions of if they think it's that great an idea, mm-hmm. paying you WGA minimum is is a drop in the bucket. Yeah. So the likelihood of them stealing it. Now, idea bleed happens mm-hmm. where y- if you pitch an idea and they don't buy it, and somewhere along the lines, another writer pitches another idea. Mm-hmm. It's, although oftentimes it's for you know, OWAs, rewrites, and things like that. You know, pitches another idea, um, and the executive or whoever says, 
I mean, what about this? And they mm -hmm. pitch part of your idea and the other writer takes that and they run with it and they get hired and whatever. That happens, but it happens at every level. I've heard top level writers say, yeah, you know, it, it happens. You can't be so protective of your ideas that you don't put anything out there because you'll never get work. Right. Um, and expecting someone to sign an NDA when you're really asking for, I don't want to say the favor, but you're, you're yeah. the one asking for their, their, them to buy your script or sign you or whatever it is, is another obstacle that they're like, is this person even worth it? Right. And you have not proven yourself to be worth it at this point because right. they haven't read your script, they don't know you, that y you will probably run into a lot of doors mm -hmm, mm -hmm. if you try that attempt. I'm not saying you shouldn't get read, I'm not saying you shouldn't worry about mm -hmm. idea theft because it does happen, but it's very rare. Right. Um, yeah. It's more coincidental yes. stuff, like, oh, somebody has a a meteor movie in development, but I wrote a meteor movie, well, yeah, it just exactly. happened to be that way. Or again, if it's, if it's, you know, whether it's known or not known, if, if you pitch an idea and that gets into that executive's head and a year later he's making a similar thing, mm -hmm. you know, whether it's intentional or not, sometimes it does happen. But again, what, I, what a lot of really uh, experienced writers that I've spoken to say about it, it's not the idea, it's the execution right. of that idea yeah. that makes the difference. Right, right. So you could have a, a, a meteor movie and they could make a meteor movie going, hey, you know, I haven't thought about it, but that's a meteor movie's great. The script is eh, but right. meteor movies are great. Let's bring, let's create a meteor movie. And you don't get credit, they move on and... Well, the thing, I mean, we're all already influenced by Everything. Deep Impact sure. and Armageddon and, you know, whatever else, I, I guess, those weren't meteors; they were like asteroid or whatever, yeah, right? But yeah. but we are all collectively influenced by by all everything the we've watched exactly in general. So yeah. so, you know, and and you know, five, last year I could have been talking to somebody else about Deep Impact, you know. Sure. And so it's just the yeah, it, it's so much just in the consciousness. Like an example right now is um, just like maybe a week ago, someone asked me about if I would be interested in reading this a sci-fi script by a new writer and it sounded a, a little bit Ex Machina. Ex Machina was a very <laughs> influential movie for mm -hmm. a lot of people. Ex Machina is influenced by a lot of other sure. movies, right? AI, uh, robotic movies. Um, so so that uh, AI has been influenced by all the predecessors before, or sorry, and um, Ex Machina has been in influenced by predecessors and, and now we're all collectively influenced by Ex, Ex Machina. And, uh, and when someone asked me if I wanted to read that script, I said, Actually, um, you know, it was a new writer, uh, so I, I said, "There's." I, I just read another script that was probably influenced by Ex Machina. It doesn't feel like a fresh kind of um, area for me right now because I think Ex Machina. I just heard it among so many writers in that in that period. I think that influenced a lot of people, um, and there are a lot of scripts kind of influenced by that floating around right now. Um, so it doesn't feel really fresh to me, but, and, and you know, that's kind of strange to say, because on one hand, on the one hand, it's like, I think it was really smart for that person to write something in the wake of Ex Machina because people liked it so much. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, he's not the only per he or, he or she is not the only person who was influenced by Ex Machina and decided to write right. a script <laughs> in that area, right? And so now you have a bunch of people who want to be the next Ex Machina. And so for us who read these scripts, we're like, well, it doesn't really feel that fresh anymore because I've read all these other people who are also trying to be the next Ex Machina. Right. Uh, I'm not saying don't do it because someone will be the next Ex Machina and it will be, have been the right thing for them. But but we're all influenced by by all the same 
things, right? right? Every movie that's preceded us, and and we talk about movies and TV shows every single day. So if you're out there, you know, writing is hopefully is a is a serious hobby now, be becoming a professional pursuit for you. And unfortunately, you you're probably you probably got a day job. You're not talking about movies like 24-7 and, right. and TV shows 24-7 the way we are. Like, we've probably talked about an idea similar to, to yours with someone else, uh, you know, at a certain point. Like, that's what we do every day. Mm-hmm. But, again, that's not to discourage you from, from doing it. It's just to, for you to fully account for how much, I, how, how much content and how, how many ideas we talk about every single day. Right. Um, but you know you should still do it. You have to. You have to do it. If you don't do it, you're not taking your shot. You have to. You have to take your shot. Just not everyone should be a hail mary. Right. No. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, okay. Let's jump into uh, producing and projects and development and and that whole side. Um, maybe using uh, a project that you worked on in the past or are working on now or something. Uh, Maybe you can describe a little bit about how you get a project from, you know, a script to, you know, on a network or mm-hmm. made, you know, uh, distributed on whatever platform it happens right. to be, you know, because there's so many platforms nowadays. It's not mm-hmm. just in theaters, there's theaters, there's, uh, you know, the internet, whether mm-hmm. it's web series or uh, web-based content for like Netflix or Hulu or mm-hmm. whatever. There's so many different options uh, for that now. but. Maybe you can use uh, something that you've worked on in the past as sort of a case study. Yeah, well, um, the first thing I noticed is that you said a script, and then sure. we started talking about series. Mm-hmm. In Typically, um, not always, but typically, uh, when you become a professional, you're working on a pitch and not right. a script, Absolutely. right? So that's a difference. Like, if you're coming into Hollywood, you're going to have to write a script because you don't have a track record behind mm-hmm. you yet. Um, right. In once you become established in Hollywood, particularly in TV, you're most likely selling a, a pitch mm-hmm. and not a script. Right. That's not always. And then the, they hire you to write the script. And then they hire you right. to write the script exactly. But so they're 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 making your deal based on a verbal pitch right. and not based on the script for that project. Right. And that's because you already have a track record, and they know if they pay you to write the script that you will deliver. A good script, right? Because um, you have a track record, so so that's kind of you know one difference. Um, in terms of uh, yeah, a case study, I'm trying to f- think of which one would be the best to talk about. Um, yeah, I guess there's. I'm, I'm working on a comedy right now, so it's a half hour. It's uh, it's actually an animated comedy that I can't. It hasn't been announced in in the publics, so I can't. I'm not going to be way too specific about it. But uh, it's it, so in this case, I. <laughs> Going way back, um, I approached, I knew it's an animated comedy, so I, I wanted to approach a writer with uh, animation cred, mm-hmm. um, animation experience, but you know, a lot of those animated writers are actually on The Simpsons or Bob's Burgers or, or sure. you know, whatever. They're on a TV show right now, so they're, they may or may not be available to develop a new idea. Um, so initially, I went to a writer who was on Archer. We talked for several months. He, he, became too busy with Archer, and then Fox was giving him a deal on something else. Uh, so he had to, and so this happens from a producer's standpoint, like this happens all the time. So after, you know, talking to him for maybe three or four months, he has, and he's interested. He wouldn't be talking to me about it for three or four months sure. if he wasn't interested. Mm-hmm. And this is someone I'd met um, in person. He doesn't live in L.A., actually. I, I'd met in person only once and had kept in touch with for probably 
eight years or so. I've never had a chance to work with him, but I've you know I've kept in touch with him for like eight to ten years, which is right. or yeah no maybe not like more like eight to six years probably. Sorry, um, and uh, so he had to detach from my project because of. Archer and something else, and uh, and so I went to. <laughs> I don't want to make it sound like my, my guys were not my top choices. Uh, so I talked to another you know writer who also was probably not available. Um, and so and th- those that writer was also someone I knew personally. And so now um, I I wasn't able to find someone that I that I already had a, a a good relationship with who was also available. And um, so I took my idea to. A, set, a pair of writers who a writing team who I had never met before I knew their manager um, and actually I didn't even know their manager I, I knew three other people at his management company but I did not it's a small management company but I didn't know that manager uh, but I could say oh you know I know your colleague sure. you know next door next office colleague and you know that's that's so I have to break my way in too mm-hmm. right like I'm knocking on the door too um, I pitched the manager the idea he says I like it let me ask you know the guys if they'd be interested in hearing it they like it you know I send them maybe you know an email maybe maybe I don't I was I'm not sure if I actually sent them a word document with some of my ideas we get on the phone as an initial meeting and I'm pitching them as much as they're pitching me probably so at this point I've pitched to I've pitched right to try to get a writer interested I've pitched the manager to get through the door with a manager um they they're also they're at UTA uh but I but it's often easier to go through the manager Mm -hmm. because you know Managers are, are, are oftentimes, uh, they usually have smaller client lists and they're giving their each client a little bit more attention, whereas the agents usually have uh, a larger client list, usually have more information, um, you know, more information from what, about what the studios and networks are doing, uh, but they probably spe- maybe spend a little less time on, on each client because they do have a longer list. So I'm going through the manager. I, I, make, it, I make it through the manager door. I jump, jump that hurdle. I get the phone call. Now I have to impress them enough on the phone call to get them to continue working on it. Uh, and so I'm auditioning for them as much as they're auditioning for me at this point. Um, they like the idea. They're, they're a writing team, so they're pretty self-contained. Um, they're not, like, I don't need to be as hands-on in terms of my development with them because there are already two guys who, who confab, they, they meet, you know, with, a, with among themselves. Oftentimes, like, not all, so, sometimes with a, a solo writer, like, they'll want more uh, maybe one-on-one mm-hmm. conversation with you as a producer because they don't have someone else in their, in their office to bounce things off of, whereas right. writing teams, a lot of times, they're, they're more self-contained because they have each other. Um, so they go off and put some ideas together, you know, they probably come up with a, like a, like a five minute pitch or something informal, you know, pitch for me. And then we kind of decide, yeah, we're going to try to, we're going to try to work on this together. Um, they come up with a longer pitch that it becomes like probably about a 10 to 15 minute pitch. Uh, at that point, we, I think we shared it with their manager to, to get his thoughts because I was trying to get them to do a couple of things with it. Um, you know, add some more heart, for example. It's a it's comedy, so, you know, some comedies are, can be really funny, but they're not really uh, that emotional or, right. or that heartfelt, and just adding, like, a little bit of heart makes it funny and relatable. Um, so, you know, that was one of my notes to, to them. Uh, and at that point, in this case, we, we wanted to attach an actor. Um, so uh, I ended up... 
I'm finding this slightly difficult to talk, to, talk about because it hasn't, you might know about, I might have told you about this project, but I can't really talk about it in public yet. Um, at that point, I actually uh, partnered with a, another producer who has a really good relationship with that actor, who has history mm -hmm. with that actor. And then we pitched, so, we, so now we are pitching to another producer and now we're kind of auditioning with this other producer. Um, and this producer had actually not really done very much TV at all. So we had kind of more TV experience collectively than this producer, but he had a relationship with the actor. We cleared that hoop. That actor helps connect, sorry, that producer helps connect us with that actor. Now we have to go pitch the actor. The actor, um, and the actor actually has won an Oscar. Um, we pitch that actor, he says yes, and now collectively uh, we go to networks to pitch that show. Uh, and the in this case, it could be the showrunner, so the, the, sorry, the show creators, agents who handle it, in that case that would have been UTA, but in this case the actor's agency handled it, so CAA handled it. Uh, and, this, and CAA now will call networks to say, hey, we have this new pitch, do you guys want to hear it? Would this be appropriate for you? And if so, now it, it's not appropriate for every network, and particularly, particularly animation, where every network does not do animation, right? right? So you have a shorter list already. Um, and then for other networks, you know, they may say, we already have two animated shows, and we just don't have the space right. for more. Like, we, you turn on the TV, it's not like every night there's animation on. Right. So, so you just have to accept that, you know, and, and that's not a Hail Mary. That is a, this is how, this is how it works. Right, <laughs> that's the reality. Yeah, that's the reality of it, exactly. There's only so much real estate, mm -hmm. uh, or the lot is only this big. You can't increase acreage, the lot is only this big. Right. Um, so the, the appropriate networks, uh, those meetings get set by, the, uh, by CAA, who represents the actor. We go in and pitch the network executives, and then, um, you know, you hope to hear within, uh, sometimes you hear in the room where they say, yes, we want to buy it. Sometimes you hear same day, sometimes you hear next day. Sometimes they actually have to go to a development staff meeting, pitch it to their team. Because again, just like an agent going to pitch, hey, I want to sign this new writer. Right. The, the executive might have to go into a s development staff meeting and say, hey, I'm, I'm thinking about buying this pitch. Because that person doesn't know, there's multiple executives in that department, that person doesn't know if it, her colleague or his colleague is buying a pitch just like it, right? right. So they have to bring it up. Um, in a development staff meeting. Uh, in this case, we heard, I think, three, four hours later that, they, that the first place we pitched it was gonna buy it. Uh, and so, um, so it all worked out. But, uh, <laughs> but that, one, that one took a long time and it had, a, had several steps. Uh, and uh, and I, it would make more sense if I could reveal the nature of the project, but I, but I can't yet. And, you know, it, and not every pro here's another thing, not every project gets announced. For, for multiple reasons, not every project gets announced. And, and usually they, or I should say always, they'll get announced at some point, but the network may not want to announce it until they pick up the, the in, in, it's animation, so it's a presentation. So you don't actually, uh, most likely they w would not actually produce a fully animated pilot, like a 20-minute mm. pilot. They would pick up a presentation, which is a short kind of mini pilot or something for them to decide on whether they would actually want to you know, pick up the, the, the series or not. Um, so certainly when we get deeper, like at some point they will announce it and it'll, it'll be casting and stuff like that should, should it get picked up. But, uh, but there are all these projects that, and this is another kind of um, myth, I guess, that, that, that every project gets announced. Right. The majority of projects don't get announced. So, um, 
you know, and for, for strategic reasons, and you know, we haven't really we haven't announced this one. So, so in this case, it was this writer's not available, that writer's not available. Oh, these writers aren't, but I don't know them yet. So, you know, if I knew them already, I probably would have gone to them first. Right. But, but you know, it's a relationship that I have to establish. Right. So sometimes you go to people you know <laughs> first because they you already trust each other, you want to work together, uh, and you know, pitch the writer. They want to, I pitch the writer, they want to do it. Now they pitch me mm-hmm. in return. Like, this is our version. This is our take on the material. Then we collectively pitch their manager because we need support now that we're going to take it out into the world and try right. to sell it. And in that case, we developed the strategy of we need to go get an actor. Well, how do I get this actor? Okay, now I need to go pitch another producer with these guys to get them because I don't have the actor relationship. That guy's got the actor relationship. Now we pitch the, you know, through that relationship, we pitch the actor's agent to manager. They get us access to the actor. Now we pitch the actor. So right. I'm pitching like five different places before I even get to pitch the network. Right. You know, and using the word, like, do you want to define the word pitch yeah, for no, people? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, we use the word pitch like, uh, you know, I think we use the word pitch and we just know what that means. Like, I'm when I pitch the 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 writer's manager, I'm not giving them like a 15 minute pitch. I'm giving them like probably not even a probably not even a one minute or you know anywhere between like a one and two minute pitch. So, so I'm kind of and I'm not pitching. I'm pitching almost the prospect of a of a project. Right. This is you know, this is the article I found, or this is the book I found, or this is the idea I have, or you know, I'm calling you about your client Kevin Fukunaga. Um, is he available? Uh, yeah, you know, he's working on another script, but he is de- he's he's available to develop something else. You know, he's finishing up his rewrite, so you probably won't really get his attention for another three weeks. But but yeah, I like you. You know, I'll set up a phone call with you if I if I think this is a good project for him. Sure. Um, you know. Do you want to pitch it to me? Do you want to send me a, a you know a one pager on it? Do you want to send me uh, an email about it so I can forward it to my client? It can be any of those things. And again, that's I've already got an established relationship with with someone in this equation, so they're allowing me to send material in, and it's not unsolicited. Right. Um, so in this case, I'd say, hey, manager, you know, I've got this idea. This is how I found the idea. Do you think your guys would like it? Oh yeah, let me run it by them. Do you have something? You know, cause now the manager's like, I don't want to have to repitch it. Can <laughs> right. you send right? I don't remember right. what you just said. Can you send me an email that right. I can forward? Mm-hmm. That's the easiest way, Absolutely. right? So now, now I spend a little time, you know, typing up probably a half-page email. That's right. the basic prospect of this project. Right. That now the manager's forwarding to his clients. Hey guys, uh, you know. Like I don't know Regina that well, but you know these my three co- partners all really like her. Um, you know, do you want to meet her? Does this strike your fancy? Do you want to have a conversation about this? So now I'm waiting. I'm just like a writer's waiting. I'm waiting to hear if they want to have a meeting. They read the email. They like it. You know, now they want to have a meeting. So now I'm pitching the pitching the writers. Hey, this is why you should do this project. This is why I think it'll be good. I think it can sell to X networks. Like I'm pitching like a plan too. Not just here's a project that you might like, but here's a way we can get to the to the finish line finish on it, line. right? Mm-hmm. Like I think it can sell to Fox, I think it can sell to Comedy Central, I think it can sell to MTV, whatever whatever that is. And I'm pitching them like do my project. Don't do the other ones other people are pitching you. Right. Do mine. Um, and now they have to so now they like it, and now uh, they go off for a few days or whatever. And now they're coming back to pitch me, which is this is our take on the material. Yes, we, you know, I do think it should be on Fox or it should be on FX, whatever. This is how we would execute the idea. This is how we see the show. So they're pitching me to see if we're all creatively aligned. Um, 
none of those are formal rehearsed you know off book right. kind of pitches there these are just kind of preliminary pitches where we're trying to get on the same page right. and we're trying to see if this project actually is going to have a finish line mm -hmm. together um, and w and now once we get through all those steps now they're pitching something that is more formal that is an early version of a formal pitch that could be pitched to a network and that's what I guess writers traditionally think of as as a pitch, a, as a pitch. right? Exactly. As opposed to sort of the elevator pitch, or you know, or yeah, like, hey, Kevin, you know, I found this book. Can I pitch it to you? Right. Like that pitch is only that pitch is only trying to get you to be interested enough in my book that you'll read the book, right. or that you'll read chapter one. Right. So of the book. That, that whole next stage can start. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So the point is, pitch can mean uh, it's. You know, you're you're talking about something that you have knowledge of, and you're trying to get someone else's interest in it. Right. Um, but there, but pitching is can be as informal. You know, I pitch every day, but I'm not pitching to a network right. every day. Right. Um, but I'm trying to get other people interested in something, or even if I call a friend and I'm saying like, you know, I'm I read this book. Um, let me pitch it to you and see what you think, because he might, my friend might say. Yeah, but, you know, it's really not enough of an idea. Or, yeah, didn't you read about, did you read that thing that TNT just bought? And I might have missed that announcement. Oh, right. You know, that sounds really similar. And I'd say, oh, crap, you're right. You right. know, so, and when I'm really in the mode um, of, of, like, a more formal pitch uh, myself where, like, let's say I've sold a book to New Line or something, and, and now we have to go find a writer together. Uh, and, and now it's it's... OWA an open writing assignment, which is great because that means if a if a if when I approach a writer's agent, they know there's money behind it. That New Line is going to pony up the the money to hire a writer mm -hmm. uh, for this open writing assignment. And so I'm pitching this agent my project and saying, "Is my first choice writer available? If not, hopefully the agent pitches me sure, a list absolutely. of alternate writers." Right. So I'm using the word pitch just so people understand all the different ways. And hopefully that makes sense in context for people mm -hmm. that the word pitch actually applies to like kind of different levels of pitching. Sure. Um, and one thing that I think is uh, very important to realize, which we emphasize, we try to emphasize it, is that, uh, and it ties into actually identity theft, or not identity, excuse me, script <laughs> mm -hmm. theft, idea theft, mm -hmm. um, in that there are, you're, you're far more likely to work in this business as a screenwriter, not necessarily on uh a script, a spec that you wrote and sold. That does happen. Again, don't deter mm -hmm. you. have to have a spec or two in your, your repertoire, your resume. You have to have that to break into the industry. But far more often, that script is not sold and made and you become mm -hmm. a big writer and then you're con consistently writing your own ideas. I wrote a new spec. I'm going to sell it. I'm, this is my next spec. I'm going to sell Usually... Like you had mentioned, once you've reached a level of you've sold a script, you've had something produced, you become successful, you know, in an industry, you've a lot of contacts, then you're pitching ideas. You're not actually writing a script. If you have an idea for a script, instead of writing the whole script as a spec, you mm -hmm. just pitch it, mm -hmm. which is what you're describing. But I also want to go into that. I've seen it more often than not. Somebody will sell a spec or even just get representation from a spec, and that will be used as their writing sample. Like mm -hmm. it won't get made, it won't get produced, it won't get distributed, whatever. Uh, but through their 
pitching skills and through their uh, development with a producer such as yourself, that's how they can get a credit. Because mm -hmm. nowadays, I, because development budgets are so small, there's so many fewer first look deals, there's so many, it's much harder to get a film made mm -hmm. that a lot of it's development. You work with producers, you work with executives to get develop an idea together and work on that. Because then you already have a champion in your corner who is making, helping you make the movie. Mm -hmm. it's, it's so much more difficult to just come up with an idea and expect someone to buy it just by yourself. You know, there are managers, there are mm -hmm. agents, there are producers, there are executives who all kind of get behind an idea and champion it, mm -hmm. you know, in some way to get that made. And mm -hmm. that seems to be far more common uh, than, I, gave, I remember when I um, worked at Fox a long time ago, even before CIA, uh, every, I think it was every quarter, they would send out, it was the size of a small phone book. It was probably what, <laughs> two and a half inches thick, mm -hmm. double-sided. Mm -hmm. And each page was a different piece of material that the studio had purchased. Oh, uh -huh. um, it was a treatment or a manuscript or a book or a screenplay or whatever it happened to be, an article even, that they had purchased that they didn't actually make into anything. And so they sent it out to all the different uh, production companies that had deal with the studio saying, does anybody have any interest? We already own it. Mm -hmm. Does anybody have any interest in developing this material? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and mm -hmm. there were hundreds of pieces of material that they owned mm -hmm. that, again, that they weren't developing further, so they wanted to see if their own studio producers, you know, again, people with deals with that studio had interest in developing with them. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know what it's like now, because I don't work at a studio, but I can, I, I know with, after, you know, 2008, the, you know, WGA strike, 2007, 2008, the uh, development deals started to, mm -hmm. you know, fall apart. There weren't as many, and even now there's not as many as there used to be, so I can't imagine it's the same volume of material that is floating mm -hmm. around. And I hear it all the time from agents and managers that it's really about developing. You have to develop it with someone. It's mm -hmm. not, there's, it's just so much harder to. Again, you need a spec and your spec may sell and it may get made and may be the next big thing. But that you should also prepare yourself for the, the uh, idea that it, that's going to be your writing sample. Mm -hmm. That's going to get you other jobs. Right. That that script is going to land on Regina's desk. She's going to be, this is a great spec. I don't think I could sell this or I don't think it's going to get made, but this is a really good writer. Mm -hmm. And let me, let's talk about an idea that we can develop together. Regina and her contacts then go off. You know, she pitches to studios, she pitches to networks, gets some people interested. All of a sudden you're developing a project with mm -hmm. you know, Comedy Central or you know, Paramount or mm -hmm. wherever it happens to be based on your relationships and, and your development experience and this writer's you know, talent, hopefully, that they brought, showed to you in this spec. Mm -hmm. Um, anyway, I just wanted to throw that out there that, uh, again, we emphasize it a lot, but I can't emphasize it enough mm. that you, it's writers need to be prepared that this, and look at it like this yeah, is yeah. not just to be sold. It is, if it doesn't sell, you're still okay. It's, it's, it can be a writing sample. Right. So focus on making the best piece of material possible, not like, I think this is going to be sell, this is going to sell because, you know, vampire right. movies are in, so I'm going to sell it. Write a, just a good script because that's what, you know, is going to be your calling card. Absolutely. Yeah, no, that's definitely how it works. Like, you know, it's, it's usually that, that original script is 
probably going to be considered kind of for two different things or in two different two different stages. Initially, it's it's being considered as something that could sell into the marketplace. Sure, and it can absolutely. And if it doesn't sell, it's, then right. it's still going to be a writing sample for right. you to get you other other work. Like it's a portfolio sure. piece, kind of. Um, you know, it can get you other work. I think. You know, we talked about this, you and I, a couple weeks ago. Um, recently, I, I did talk to a writer. I, I just was, uh, I was just, you know, being nice and, and had a, a Skype with a, a, an amateur writer I'd mm -hmm. met with. And, and I'm going to... Um, I'm going to be very vague about the the details, and and he has a script that is a war script. I'm, I'm going to be very va vague with the details, but um, he has a war script, and um, he I think he's optioned it to, to someone. I think there have been I think he's pitched it in some pitch fests and, and or things of that nature, and there have been some producers who have been interested in it. And I think he did option it to someone overseas actually. Um, and if that, if that movie doesn't get made, then of course he wants that script to be a writing sample for him to get mm -hmm. other work. Well, it's a, it's a period war film, so it's not, you know, it's not current day Afghanistan or whatever. Um, and uh, that's not to say that it can't be a writing sample, but there aren't 20 studio, op I mean, there aren't 20 studio open writing assignments for anything these days, but but there aren't 20 open assignments or something for like a, a Korean war drama or a Vietnam war right. drama or a World War mm -hmm. II war drama, or World War One, you know, war drama or whatever. So that um, every, and this is really hard to talk about because every script can, every script is obviously unique and every kind of script can, can, might be a good writing sample for something or not a good writing sample for something. And sometimes, like, short, like, maybe you do write a war drama that becomes a good writing sample for, for something completely different. Like, it's a period piece. So maybe you say, oh, um, this, this, you know, period war drama could be a good writing sample for a, uh, a, a period, um, like maybe it's a good sample for Lincoln or something like that, sure. which didn't have any war in it, but it was a period piece and it considered you know, historical events, et cetera. Um, but there aren't a lot of those writing assignments out there either, right? It's not like right. uh, Lincoln's not getting made every day. So, so then you, I don't necessarily think that I would strategize this. I, I wouldn't necessarily strategize this way if I'm writing one of my first scripts and thinking, what can it be a good writing sample for? But that is a part of it, right? So this guy's got a, his. it sounds like his best written script is a period war drama. And a period war drama is not going to be a great sample for a, a lot of open writing assignments mm -hmm. these days. And I was thinking, you know, what could it, what maybe it could it have been a good sample for? And I was actually like, oh, I, I I was actually kind of happy that I did think of a good example, like a movie like Deepwater Horizon that's out now with right. Mark Wahlberg. Maybe it could have been a good sample for that. You know, war dramas are mostly guys in this case, or, you know, typically, um, in a in, kind of in the foxhole together. Um, explosions happen, unpredictable things happen, people are tested, their will is tested, their integrity is tested, their, their courage is tested. Deepwater Horizon. Contemporary, true story, guys in a foxhole, their their courage is tested, unforeseen events, right? Like, I could see possibly a period war drama being a good sample for uh, another, you know, true kind of nonfiction style, you know, guys in a foxhole thing. And what, what today is that? Maybe it's like Deep Water Horizon. But it's not going to, that period war drama is most likely not going to be a good sample for, say, Jason Bourne or something. Completely different tone, right? right? Completely different... Uh, yeah, it can, certainly a different kind of action. Like in a war drama, you're probably trying to think, 
what was historical and accurate and writing, you know, like, you know, pilot, uh, what are dog fights that are accurate versus fight scenes or action sequences, chase scenes that you've never seen before. Right. Which is more of what you're talking about if you're writing a James Bond movie or Jason Bourne or something. So those probably aren't great um, samples for each other. That being said, you know, I, it's so hard to talk about this because there are cases when it, it's kind of like this, right? Like you don't want... you. you um, there are people who have written multiple war dramas, like the Randall Wallace types out there have written war, multiple war dramas, but and they've also written other things. But um, it's almost like sometimes you want a sample that's a very kind of close model of, of a uh, for, for an open writing assignment, and sometimes you might have a sample that's a that's not at all a good model, right? There's um, the one I always point to is. Um, there's a guy who, uh, who Ed Whitworth, who I believe was on the blacklist, and he wrote a Colin Powell script that got him a job. And he, he was a reader, I think, at Oprah Winfrey's Harpo. Um, so he was, very, he was in the business, but he wasn't making money as a writer yet. And there's actually, I think, a great Hollywood Reporter article about Ed, Ed Whitworth and, and everything he went through to finally get this big sale. Colin Powell's script, um, nonfiction, you know, or not inspired, certainly grounded felt like nonfiction. I, I, I don't remember if his was completely nonfiction or if it was kind of taking liberties from the true stories. Um, and he got a job on writing Merlin for Warner Brothers. Right. That's a crazy one, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's unexpected. But usually they're closer connections <laughs> than right. Powell and, uh, and Merlin. Usually they're closer connections, but they're not necessarily one-to-one -one connections where it's like Vietnam War drama, Vietnam, you know, you, you wrote a Vietnam War drama and right. then you get an assignment for a Vietnam War right. drama. So that's like, I don't know, do you have a, a, a way of describing like, it's, it's kind of different every, every time, sure. but, um, but I guess something to think about is how, how good of a writing sample or how, um, you know, how can this writing sample be used? And, and right. an amateur is not really going to have a, a good, you're not going to be able to analyze that very well, but when you start to talk about, talk to managers and agents, they'll know what they can use that writing sample sure. for. Um, so it's really maybe more something to keep in the back of your mind right. than in the front of your mind. What do, what do you think about that? No, I was just um, wanted to piggyback, actually, take a sidestep here and piggyback on what you were saying. Um, in terms of a script being used first, at, you know, as a vehicle for a potential sale, and then used as, uh, you know, your writing sample, um, I kind of wanted to piggyback on that and go back and say, I'm not saying don't write a script that you think will sell. Mm -hmm. Obviously, that is hugely important. Um, and actually, now that I think about it, I know some good writers. Actually, I've been uh, helping a couple friends try to get uh, reps, and I hear back feedback a lot that oh, the writing is good, but it's not my thing. It's not, I don't, i.e., I don't think I could sell this. It's mm -hmm. not the type of commercial material that I think I could mm -hmm. sell or get behind even mm -hmm. because it's sort of a unique thing. But the writing is good, mm -hmm. i.e., if they write something else that yes. I think I can sell, bring it back. Uh, that's something to consider too. If your material, and I'm not saying don't write your passion project. If your passion project, and uh, uh, Adam Kohlbrenner, who I mm -hmm. love and I know you love as well, uh, mentioned if the, if the, uh, script is about a whale fisherman in the 1800s, but it's amazing. That's cool. I, you know, I, I'm fine with that. Mm -hmm. um, that being said, uh, know that if you write a script, a screenplay about a whale fisherman in the 1800s, 
you're probably going to have a hard time getting reads. You're probably going to, it could be amazing and mm -hmm. send it to Adam. He might read it. <laughs> um, but you just know that you're, if the more obscure, the more difficult the concept it is, dark comedy, you know, you have to find the right fit. And it's not to say that you shouldn't write it if you're passionate about it. It's not to say that it won't sell or won't find an audience. It won't find somebody who's passionate and champion it with you mm -hmm. and you won't be successful. It's just to say that, that the road could be potentially more difficult. If you write, again, like a specific period war drama about the Alamo, mm -hmm. then if you wrote an action comedy about two guys who, you know, partners, you know, whatever, yeah, yeah, something yeah. that's a little bit more like Deepwater Horizon, a contemporary film about a true life event, about, uh, again, a group of people facing a challenge, coming together, or the, mm -hmm. you know, the heroism, which is, has more universal themes than like a biopic about Custer, mm -hmm. which, you know, again, Colin Powell, an individual, well-written, probably great introspection. Merlin, same thing, even though they're totally mm -hmm. different worlds, you know, they're mm -hmm. about one individual character who's sort of, you know, I'm sure there was a lot that went into the thought process behind mm -hmm. the way their mind works and character development and mm -hmm. one specific person that everybody knows, that kind of thing. Um, but... Anyway, I just wanted to throw that out there, so I guess I sort of piggybacked on yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, and what I'll say is, like, too, it, you know, I think something else I think we hear from a lot of new writers is, you know, should I write a fantasy piece or right. should I write a biopic or something? And uh, typically, like, you know, right away, if I, if I hear someone ask that, I'm thinking, you're probably not as equally skilled in writing a biopic as, as you are a fantasy piece. So, you know, you might as... People have interest across various genres, but but I would say I always tell people pick one or two um, j related genres. Like you know, it could be like action and then action comedy right. or something. Uh, two kind of related or you know, action, real world kind of action, and now kind of more fantasy action or something like that. Like pick one, two, maybe three related genres and really try to define yourself in in those genres because um, a you know. If you're trying to, typically, for most people, you know, if you're trying to be a jack of all trades, you're probably not going to master one. Um, and, you know, I mean, even this is a true for so, so many. And I always say, like, it's true for so many other things. Like I always say this too. Like, you're pro if you played basketball, it's possible that you could be the shooting guard or the point guard, but you're probably not going to. You're not going to be. Period. You're not going to be both the point guard and the center. It's just not going to happen. Right. However, you can totally play either center. Or, or forward, right? Those two positions right. are, are pretty, are, can be kind of interchangeable. Unless you're Magic Johnson. Well, did he, he, he played center, and he I played think center. in the game in the finals. What? I think Kareem was injured, I think. He played uh, center? One, it was one, one game, I think it was, but yeah. Well, because he was also oh like a 6'10 or 6'9. Uh, he was, I think, 6'9 uh, huh. point guard, so he was unusually uh -huh. large. But yeah, I, right. mean, I get your point. It's, right, it's and LeBron can play every position if sure, you want to. Sure, but it's a very extreme case. And it almost never happens. We're not all LeBron. Like, even right. in the NBA, they're not all LeBron. No, right? not at all, and so, they're great at what they do. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, wow, I didn't know that magic. Now my analogy is completely destroyed. No, not um, at all. But I mean, because it, it points out that, yes, there are exceptions to the rule, but you're not going to start off, like, mm -hmm. he didn't start off his career being able to play all those positions. He proved himself in the NBA, I mean, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or in college, I guess. I guess it was his rookie season even. Mm. But, you know, it, it's so rare that that happens. Mm -hmm. And it's not to say that you can't be great at 15 things, because we've mentioned this before in the podcast that you need to pick uh, your find your voice, which is your genre, because 
uh, like you had mentioned, you it's important to be a master of something mm -hmm. rather than be pretty good at a bunch of right. things. And if you try to be pretty good at a bunch of things, it'll just show that you don't know what your voice is. Right, right, you right. Know? Uh, yeah, you just get, if you, if someone asked me, should I write this sports comedy or this uh, Lord of the Rings style fantasy, uh, right away I'm thinking, you've lost a good deal of credibility to right. me because of exactly what you said. Like, you haven't, you're at a place when you haven't even found who you want to be right. yet. And that means that you're not yet, quote, professional enough to, for, for me to be working with at, right. at this point, you know. Um, so, yeah, unfortunately that's kind of the case, but I, I would say, you know, the way it works at a studio is, you know, if my boss, it, when I was at Universal or wh wherever, if my boss is saying, hey, we need to rewrite for, uh, I, this was not my project, but, you know, we need to rewrite for uh, the Born Identity or something. Um, this, I had nothing to do with Born Identity, but if she said we need to rewrite for the Born Identity, the executive who's on who's under her on uh, on that project is going to come up with a list of action thriller writers, you know, kind of right. franchise writers, you know, writers, um, smarter action writers. And that person's going to make a list of, of that kind of writer. They're, they're going to call the agencies and see which of those writers on the list are available. They will ask the agency, oh, you know, have I forgotten anybody? Is there someone who is available that I haven't asked about? Or is there a new person? Um, and then that list of, of Jason Bourne, you know, writers is going to go to the executive in charge of the project and pro maybe to the president, maybe the chairman of the company. There are, nobody is saying, hey, give me the list of jack-of-all-trades writers right. who might be the best choice to rewrite right. Born Identity. They're saying, you know, bring me the best action thriller writers. Right, and it's not even us, bring me a list of good writers. No, they're, it's specificity yes. is, is important because it's all, I mean, you mentioned Randall Wallace. Mm -hmm. if, if there is a, a period war drama or any kind of mm -hmm. war drama, you know he's one of the first on that list. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But if it's an Adam Sandler comedy, he's not on, he's the, not list. on the list. And could he write one? Maybe, Maybe I don't right. know. I mean, who knows? But right. he's never going to be on that list. And if you put him on the list, you, you look like an executive You look who's, like an idiot. Yes. Yeah, because you smoke something before coming to work. Right, that it's like, day. why would he be on that list? Right, it doesn't make any sense. Uh, now, could he write it? You know, maybe I don't know. Randall, right. I don't know his background. I mean, I don't know enough about him to say he could or could not. But he probably wouldn't want to. Yeah. just seeing his resume. But also, again, it's not. You're on a list for a reason because you have a track record for being excelling at one thing. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, could Usain Bolt play in the NFL? I mean, it's possible because <laughs> yeah, I know he possible. talked about it. But, I mean, he was the best in the world at what he did. So if you're looking for a sprinter, yeah. like if you were assembling a sprinting team, yes. he's the first name on that list. That's who you would call. Exactly. Um, like the decathlon is a good example. Right. It's like um, during the Olympics at Rio, we, we were watching it, and they were all good like, yes. at the different events. Mm -hmm. But you put them in any, like if you take uh, Ashton Eaton, who won the decathlon, mm. if you put him in, in they had 100 yard dash, mm -hmm. 100 meter dash, whatever. He's you, not going to beat Bolt. He's, there's not even, he's probably not going to beat, you know, the 20th ranked mm -hmm. sprinter. Mm -hmm. Not even going to come close. Right. Um, you put him in an event, you know, like the high jump, uh, mm -hmm. you know, he, the high, best high jumpers in the world. He's not even going to place, tw he's not going to make the finals. Mm -hmm. But he's good at a bunch of different things. That being said, there's no decathlon event in not, screenwriting. Not in Hollywood. I right. mean, it is possible, you know, and this is like, we're looking for, ex now we're just looking for exceptions. Mm -hmm. It's possible that you live in Chicago or something, you sure. ghostwrite a bunch of right. things. No, that's yeah. You you know, people pay you uh, non non writers guild, uh, 
uh, non-union rates to write their indie movies. And in that case, they're just they may be looking for a jack of all trades. But but that they're is probably not... looking for anybody at that point. Yeah, I would think. right. And somebody who's good. Period. Right. Figuring and you can make it work. People do make their livings that way, but those I don't. I don't really. I don't work with any of those people. I might. I. I think I know one person I don't know who kind of does, does and she lives outside of Chicago. You know, right. I think she kind of made her name by ghostwriting books and sure. stuff. But I don't do Hollywood business with her, right. really. Right. Um, so that's a different model. Um, and if people listening to the podcast want to get into that model, they should find those people to ask. Like, we're not those people. That's not no. our That's not our model. So, yeah, there's no decathlon in, in Hollywood. And not to say that there aren't, you know, you can find exceptions of, you know, Leslie Dixon is one that I always give. She wrote Dark Fields, uh, a.k.a. Limitless, mm-hmm. or adapted that book, which is totally like a, a thriller, sure. right? Mm-hmm. And she wrote Freaky Friday for Disney. But, but A, you know, that's like you saying, bringing up Magic Johnson. Not everyone is Leslie Dixon. Not everyone is Magic Johnson and and I don't know I've never had the chance to work with Leslie I don't know how she would describe it I don't know if she would say I'm so proud that I can do these things or if she like she probably just thinks yeah you know that it was a it was an individual project that I connected to well and going back to the analogy which I think still stands one there's you know in the history of the NBA if you can think of a player who could physically play center and point guard Mm-hmm. You know, in the same game and do it competently. Mm-hmm. How many names could you name? You, right. we, we just mentioned two, and I think right. that's probably it. At the same time, if you were to say who are the best point guards in you the could, league right. or the best centers in the league, you know, Magic Johnson might fall into the point guard. He would not fall he into would, the center. Right. He is a you know. If you were to put a team together, you would pick Magic Johnson at center. Mm-hmm. You'd put LeBron. At, I guess he'd be small forward. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but you. Even though they can do other things, that's not your first choice. Right, and they wouldn't want to either. Like, no. I, I'm sure that Magic Johnson wouldn't say, well, I'm, a, I'm proud of my abilities because I can also play center. He's proud of his abilities because he led the Lakers to, what, how many championships? Six? Five, I think. Five? Yeah. Okay. So, right, like, you know, I, I very, I, I, I never met Leslie Dixon, but I don't think she would say, what I want to go down for, or it, what I want to be remembered for, is the person who wrote Dark Fields and Freaky Friday. Right. I think she wants to be known as, you know, I, I would think that she would want to be known as a top writer in X. Like, I, it's not about range, and it, it's, you know, it, it's yeah, it's not about range. And by the same thing for acting, right? Like, unless you're Tom Cruise or Will Smith, who really can't, like, you're the you're the star playing. Uh, a bunch of different kinds of roles like you're not they don't they're unless you're the star you're not playing range like you're doing you're a character actor doing x like i'm the mad scientist you know that's what i do like that kind of role Mm -hmm. um so 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 yeah but but there is you know in early development of your career you have to figure out what your what your role is or what your voice is or what your skill set you know forte what you enjoy too you may right. not you may think you enjoy writing comedy or that you're good at it but when you get down to it you know are you competitive in comedy and maybe you realize no I should I, I should be writing drama right. or something like that I you know it so but ultimately yeah, you want. You said this to me last time, Kevin. You know, you said whatever manager asks you, what list do you want to be on? Right. You know, that was great. I'm going to start using that. What list do you want to be on? And and don't name five lists. Mm-hmm. Pick one, maybe two. Mm-hmm. Right. And and you know, oh, I can write romantic 
melodramas and maybe dramas, mm -hmm. or I can write action and action comedy, mm -hmm. or you know, action and action thriller, or you know, uh, thrillers and horror. Right. But exactly. don't start saying, "Oh, I can do comedy. I can do action. I can do dramas. I can do yeah, romantic I comedies." Because yeah, it's you're you're not gonna just like the decathlon. You're not gonna be able to compete with the top of the game. Mm -mm. You know, and the top professionals and everything. Right. And not to say like that's not to say you. Once you're a professional, you can't diversify your sure. portfolio, or you you can't do something different. But you you want to be a commodity that people know they can um, know they can book work for, right? And right. that if if Lionsgate calls this manager and says, you know, uh, the the guy who was writing Saw Six is now unavailable. He booked another job, or or you know, we just want a different voice or whatever. Who's the next person who who's the next great horror writer that I don't know about? Right. They're not saying who's who's the next writer who can who can do horror and Pixar. Right. They're right, saying right. who's the you know next horror writer who I don't know about yet. Yeah. And that's who you want to be. If you want to write horror, you want to be the the you want to be in the top five names that that top three names even that that agent or a manager who that when Lionsgate calls you know William Morris and is like I need a rewrite on Saw Six or I need a rewrite mm -hmm. on Expendables or what or right. Hunger Games or whatever it is. It's like, this is the next person to do that. Right, and here's why. And here's why, and yeah. here's a sample to back it up right. if you haven't read this script. Right, Saw Six, here's his sample. It's, it's an up sequel, you know, to some Pixar movie. Yeah, that's not gonna yeah, work. Yeah, that's not gonna work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that's not gonna work, so. Uh, um, we're actually running low on time. We've actually got a lot to cover. We're, you're gonna have to come back on. Yeah, I'd love to, um, thank you. Yeah, uh, so, um, Wow, there's so much here to cover. Literally, we've got like three pages of, of notes here. <laughs> um, I guess what I what we can sort of wrap up this session with, and um, we will have you back on because um, there's a lot to cover uh, that we didn't even touch on, unfortunately. Um, what sort of advice, just general advice, would you give to an aspiring screenwriter that came to you and said, you know, how do I break in? How do I become a paid professional writer, screenwriter? If they're in, similar to the CAA answer, if you're at a place in your life where you can move to Hollywood, give it a go. You're, um, you know, if you've got a great job in Cleveland, you've got, you know, a family, you can't really move your kids, they're in school, then don't, don't do it. You know, you can write from, from anywhere. But if you really w want to give yourself the best chance of breaking in and you have the resources, you know, whether they be financial resources or, or whatever to, to do so, give it a shot because, People here, you know, live, breathe, talk the business every day. You're, and you wouldn't. By the way, you wouldn't have to listen to this podcast. You you might still listen to the sure. podcast. Like I listen to KCRW's the business. Mm -hmm. I listen to you know the spinoff. I listen to now. I'm listening to Children of Tendu, and I listen to some of Jeff Goldsmith's podcasts. I listen to some of your podcasts, and I live here because I I, I want to know. What, how other people describe the business um, and how other people teach the business. But, but if you actually lived in LA, you wouldn't actually, and you got an entry level job somewhere uh, at a CAA or you got an entry level job for a producer or whatever, and, uh, you wouldn't have to listen to this podcast because you'd know it all from your daily right, life, right? right. You would be living it. None of this information would be new to you. None of it would be new to you. Some of it might be good reinforcement to what you think sure. you know, or individual situations that you have maybe haven't experienced, or you right. know, little bit, little bits and pieces here and there. But right. But just imagine that if you if you are out there in Topeka, like listening and thinking, wow, none of this podcast or ninety percent of the stuff I hear on this podcast would not would no longer be new news. Sure. I, it would be a part of my life. Mm -hmm. 
that would be giving yourself a huge you know advantage if you if you have the means to, to take a shot and I think that's what we all did when we moved to Hollywood it's like I'm, I'm gonna I have to I'm I'm crazy enough to, to take the shot and if it right. doesn't work out I'm you know I'm gonna go to grad school or whatever I need to do as a backup plan um, but if you can give yourself that shot move to Hollywood if you need to intern intern then get your entry-level job hopefully at an agency because you know you're gonna build a, the best network possible there you're also gonna be at the hub of information um, you're gonna the agency covers every single uh, studio network buyer overseas domestic everything they cover they ha they have to be involved with every aspect of the business um, because that is the agency has to put has to look after clients who are in the business who has, has to book new jobs it is it truly, as my boss said, information central, and that information will last you for the rest of your career. Mm -hmm. um, and those you, contacts you make, that network you're absolutely. building. Absolutely. And everyone else who has, who you know, you go to coffee with, and they're going to have an equal amount of information absolutely. that you, you, right? It's just... Um, and it becomes, yeah. you know, if, if I don't know somebody, but uh, Regina does, and she calls me and says, hey, you know, I know this great person, or, you know, or maybe I call her and say, hey, I, you know... I know mm -hmm. you know such and such. Mm -hmm. uh, can I get an introduction? Yes. You know, exactly. you would or vice versa. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, again, you build that network, but you yes. can't do it. I mean, it's much more difficult. I shouldn't right. say you can't because, you know, I mean, we you never want to say. You can't, you, right. And that's where I actually will say you, you can't do it to the extent that you can right. in Hollywood. That's true. Um, you can write from anywhere and you can sell from other places, but you can't build the extensive network that you can in uh, in LA so that is one part where we're allowed to say you you can't um, the other thing I would say is put yourself into your readers shoes not just your own and that means so many things um, but you know a scene that that works for for you in your mind um, I'm an un uninitiated reader I don't know what page 100 is you do Mm -hmm. So you have to you have to write for me who doesn't know what the ending is who by the way who isn't giving you the benefit of the doubt yet because we don't know you and right. I'm you know on one hand I'm reading it looking for a reason to say yes because if I find a great new project that helps me as much as it helps you right so you kind of be selfless selfish and selfless at the same time mm -hmm. like you know um I want to find it. I, I'm looking for a reason to say yes, but I, more often than not, don't find a reason to say yes for you know any script, right? And another thing people always say is you're competing against professionals now. It's not you're not you to get to the top of the amateur heap. Now now you're competing against professionals. Sure. Congratulations. <laughs> um, it doesn't get any easier. Um, but you know, pr write and present yourself. I guess always putting yourself into the other person's shoes um, because like you know so many writers just say oh well when you get to page 60 it's all going to make sense well you have no insurance that I'm going to get to page 60 mm -hmm. like I have to earn every page that an executive reads you also have to earn that right like if I'm trying to sell something to to Paramount or whatever like they may not read to page 60 either like even though they know me Right. Or they, you know, or they know your agent. They may not read to page sixty either. So you have to. Earn, I say you have to earn every page, and so put yourself into the perspective of your reader in terms of how you organize, conceptual, conceptualize, execute your ideas. Um, and you know, when I when I do, you know, if I if I'm consulting for like a new screenwriter or something, uh, and, and I have a really hard time understanding what the 
the movie is about or what the TV show is about. And, you know, I say to them, this is how, I might say this is how I read page one. Like all that's happening is that this person is looking at a wall or w whatever that is. And, or, and now, uh, you know, that person is now cooking breakfast or whatever. And, and, or I might force them to do it. Tell me what scene one is doing right now. What, what is the purpose of scene one? What is, what's happening on scene, what's actually happening on scene two? Not what you want to be happening on scene, on page two, but what is actually happening. And then very quickly you hear them start to say, well, what I want it to be is, that, and, but that's not, what you want it to be is not what you've put on the page. Right. And well, th what that scene is supposed to say and what that's supposed to make, well, based on what's written, how is it accomplishing what you're hoping right. it will accomplish? It's not. Um, so, yeah, so put yourself, you ha have to remove yourself from, from yourself and, and look at things from the, from the perspective of the fresh eyes, uninitiated eyes who have no idea who, who aren't going to give you the benefit of the doubt, who have nowhere, no idea where the story is going, is what you've actually put on the page doing its job or, or is that all in your head that you hope it's right. doing its job? Right. Obviously you have to have the hope to then... May, you know, execute it properly, but um, I, almost every single time that I, that I speak to a new writer, um, what they hope is going on on the page is not actually going on right. <laughs> on the page. Right. So uh, yeah, another piece of advice. So very different advice. Move to LA and, <laughs> you know, right. and put yourself in the position of, of the reader. Um, you have a Twitter. I do. Um, I think it's Regina Lee underscore LA. LA. Yeah, that's what I have written down. Okay. At Regina Lee underscore LA. It'll be on our website. And if you have questions about the craft or business of writing, you can send us an email to ask at scriptsandscribes.com or send us a tweet to at scriptscribes. There's no and in the middle. They're just at scriptscribes. Thank you, Regina. Thanks for having me, Kevin. Really fun. And thank you all for listening.